This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrace.com. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Welcome to the Overnight Crowd on this Wednesday evening, the 18th of May 2022. I'm Bray Loveridge across the SEN Network. On your Wednesday night, going into Thursday. Good evening. How are you guys going tonight? There is plenty of news going around, particularly in the US with heaps of US sport happening, as well as plenty of cricket action and news happening around the world, particularly with England. A lot of coaching roles have been going around and offered to some people out there in the cricketing world and to discuss all the cricket news tonight. I'll be joined by Paul Dennett from the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. In fact, I have got him right now. Paul, good evening and welcome to the Overnight Crowd. G'day, Bray. How are you going? Good. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. Thanks, mate. That's good. Pleasure. Oh, great to have you on this evening. But, of course, the big news of the day is the signing for an Aussie for the White Ball England men's coach role. And, Paul, that would be Michael Mott. He has been signed to the England's White Ball coaching role. Yeah, Matthew Mott's had an enormous amount of success with the Australian um, women's team. And it's a, a very interesting signing because it marks a quite an exciting moment, I think, for England cricket. That sometimes we Aussies tend to characterise English cricket as a little bit on the, uh, on the slow and boring side. But they've now got um, uh, um, Matthew Mott joining Owen Morgan as the captain. And then Ben Stokes with Brendan McCullum as the, uh, ben Stokes mm. the captain and Brendan McCullum, the coach of the Red Bull lineup, And they're four um, pretty aggressive sort of um, characters. And so I think that we might be seeing some, um, some, some pretty great cricket coming out of England um, in the next couple of years, or certainly highly watchable cricket. Um, and I think with uh, Mott, that uh, it's instructive as to how unanimously uh, popular the, um, the appointment has been. I mean, I, I think that Nasser Hussain is one of the best judges in, in cricket and yeah. Uh, he was positively, positively glowing about saying um, what a great hire he is. Uh, it's always difficult to tell from afar just how much impact a coach has had on a side. And naturally, the Australian women's side is so good that uh, whomever was their coach, they were going to have a lot of success in recent years. But I do think that Mott has contributed to that as well. Um, in, in as much as a cricket coach can, I think he has made that... Um, you know, that 5 to 10% difference, um, and, and, which can often be crucial. I think that he's got them playing a fearless brand of cricket. I think, you know, he's a very organised, um, professional sort of coach who thinks deeply about the game. Very affable, easy, easy to get along with sort of guy as well. Uh, but the um, amusing thing, I think, that Rob Key, who's the director of cricket in England, said that, um, what Matthew Mott has done for you know with the Australian women's team is exactly what um, he's looking to do. Uh, he's, he's looking for him to do with the the men's team. So I think you know basically saying you just win every game you play pretty much, yep. and, then, and then we'll be happy. <laughs> yeah. So you can join in on the conversation on the text line oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. And already I've been whacked because I 
wrongly pronounced his name as Michael Mott. It's actually Matthew. So <laughs> my bad there. Um, I don't know what I was thinking when I wrote it down. But is this something we saw coming uh, with Motti getting the role? And who were the front runners from your opinion for the role? I think the main other front runner was Paul Collingwood, who yeah. has been in the England setup for, for, for quite some period of time. Um, and um, it, was, it was interesting also that um, Brendan McCullum was also, prior to him getting the sort of... Um, when, when Brendan McCullum got the test job, a lot of people were saying, well, uh, I would have thought that if he was going to get um, a coaching job with England, he might have got the white ball job. Um, and Brendan McCullum went when asked about that, sort of said, nah, that's a cushy job. Um, they're, they're doing so well already. I wanted a, a more of a challenge. So I <laughs> wonder how Mott will, um, will take that. But apparently he and Mott are, are great friends. And um, that when Matthew Mott was um, in the past interested in getting the New Zealand job, um, that, that uh, Brendan McCallum had spoke strongly in favour of him. It obviously didn't ultimately transpire. But I think that um, it's going to be an interesting dynamic because... Up until now, um, when they've had just the, primarily just the one coach, it's fine if you want to say, well, we've got a meaningless or fairly meaningless um, one-day series coming up. We'll rest all the good players ahead of the test match and away we go. But if you've suddenly got someone whose sole remit is to be the, the white ball coach, then there could be some tension there because he might say, no way, you know, we're not resting these players. This is really, really important. So I think it's going to be important that McCullum and um, Mott do have a good relationship, which, which they seem to. So it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out, I suppose. Yeah, no doubt. And you, you mentioned people were questioning McCullum signing to the red ball. Well, he's just a as good of a player with the red ball than he was in the white ball format. So very handy appointment there. But back to Moddy, three ODI losses for his Australian women's side since 2017 in terms of well, the ODIs. That is an incredible achievement. And now obviously, arguably, has been given one of the top jobs in world cricket. Yeah, certainly, and um, it's notable about 2017 because that was when they had one of their key losses. They lost yeah. the semi-final um, uh, of the World Cup in England to India, which robbed them of uh, a final appearance against England at Lords, which um, was sold out. And uh, until a few years later, when the Australia um, India final, the MCG got the 87,000, that was kind of the probably the biggest occasion in the history of women's cricket. So they're all very um, disappointed to miss out on that. And they had a really um, honest kind of um, debrief um, after it. And they sort of said, we, we froze a little bit in the key moments. And um, I think that they then really worked hard on freeing the players up to, to, to say, um, play your natural game. And if it doesn't come off, then you're not going to be criticised for it. And uh, interestingly, that's exactly the philosophy that Owen Morgan um, has had as the, the white ball uh, captain of England. It's what Trevor Bayliss when he was the coach and was uh, focusing a little bit on the white ball ha- had there as well. But um, if you think the right thing to do in the second ball of the match is to charge the fast bowler and um, try to hit them back over their head, go for it. And if you hit it straight up in the air and uh, you get out caught, we're not going to castigate you for it because we, we trust you to, to, to play your natural game. Yeah, 100%. Now, sort of, you touched on it sort of in the first question, but Brendan McCallum obviously signed as a red ball coach, so there's the two... Uh, coaches there. How do you think this partnership, I guess, will go? Plus, or whatever you want to call it, the co-coaching role that they're having there. Obviously, they've got two different captains to look after, a captain each, so it could work probably to their favour, I reckon. 
Yeah, I think I think it's really exciting, and I mean, ultimately, how it will go um, will depend on success. I mean, if if there's success, then there'll be no friction. If if there's um, you know one side having success and the other side not having so much success, maybe things will get a little bit more a little bit more challenging. But I, I look back at the England Test side over, especially during the Ashes, and some of the things they did seemed to me to um, you know indicate that a change in culture was was necessary and. Again, to go back on what I said before, the coach can't do that much, um, you know, but they can do that little bit. And uh, I look at a player like Joss Butler, who has been tried in the England Test side with a little bit of success, but ultimately not all that much success. And he's the sort of player that if, if McCullum was in charge and could give the player the sort of the freedom to play their natural game... I think he could have, um, you know, made something of, it, of himself at test level. He, he's such a dynamic player in the, the 50-over and the 20-over game. Seeing him coming out and scoring 20 off 70 because he feels that's the right way to play um, in a test match is, you know, is a bit disappointing. And even towards the end of the Ashes, that, that when they lost in Hobart, and the last three or four wickets went down, you know, very, very quickly, and some shots that were very unbecoming and you know, a, a cruel person might have said they were determined to lose it that night, so they didn't have to come back on the, on the next day. I think that a change was necessary, um, and I, I think that McCullum is um, uh, a really exciting appointment. Michael Vaughan uh, has expressed some reservations, saying that, you know, maybe that we're not a good enough side to have his sort of philosophy, um, where um, he, when, he, when he was captain of New Zealand, and he really kind of got them playing in that same sort of fearless way, but and I, I think that's... Um, I don't agree with Vaughan on that. I, I think that McCullum is a, is a really exciting appointment. I think he's going to do well. Yeah, 100%. Now, we'll go home in a way. Uh, Tim David, West Aussie, has, was born in Singapore, so is has that sort of connection. But he was obviously signed for approximately 1.1 million US in the IPL auction earlier in the year. He's proving he's worth that, isn't he? Yeah, finally he's been given a, um, a, a bit of a decent run. It, it, it's remarkable to me that uh, Mumbai Indians have had him on the bench for a few games and that also yeah. that the Australian selectors so far have never uh, never picked him because uh, I was listening to a podcast about just ahead of the, the T20 World Cup in October. It was from Crickviz. And I, they said that basically, according to their metrics, he's the most impactful T20 player in the world bar none. And you look at his record, uh, he's got a better batting average in T20 cricket than Glenn Maxwell at a better strike rate. You think of someone who has a better strike rate than Glenn Maxwell, it just doesn't happen. Um, but he's got a strike rate of about 160, um, and he's averaging 34. Uh, yeah, last night, scored 48 off 16. Um, admittedly, the, the, he said to get quite a few full tosses, but he certainly um, put pay to them. One of the sixes was one of the biggest sixes you'll ever want to see. Uh, and it has made a big impact in India. Um, even someone like Harsha Bogle saying, in two overs of destruction from, uh, from Tim David, we saw the future of the Mumbai Indians. Um, he has arrived. Like he has, um, that innings has really changed his, sort of, um, his career and his life, I think, because he's now suddenly someone that all of India has taken notice of. And the Australian selectors need to. I mean, uh, he is in my side for this upcoming World Cup um, straight away. I'm getting him in there right one of the very first players picked. And I think it'll be um, a, a real travesty if he doesn't get picked because if he's coming out to bat and you're the opposition captain and bowler, you are very, very nervous. Yeah, we've, he's proven to hit a long bomb in the Big Bash in the past I'm say two seasons. He's found the bat really well for the Hobart Hurricanes. So you're adamant, certain that he has to be in that Australian T20 squad. 
Absolutely. And if someone says, who would you um, put him in place of? I'd say, that's not the way I'm looking at it. I'm putting, yeah. I'm putting his name down on the team sheet um, right up there in the first two or three, and then um, we'll fit a side around him because, you know, everywhere he goes, he has uh, tremendous success. He's now, um, albeit only in limited opportunity, but his strike rate in this IPL is, is, is comfortably over 200. Um, so on Australian grounds, um, when he comes out to bat in the, if he does play, um, he could destroy opposition. And I wonder if it is because he, you know, he, he was born in Singapore to Australian parents and played a few games uh, for Singapore. It's almost like he's somehow flown under the radar as a result, but he's certainly eligible um, to, yeah. to play for Australia. But because Singapore is an associate nation, it's fine to, to have played for them and then to, you know, to play for Australia as well. Cricket's quite pragmatic in those ways. So, uh, I often um, disagree with selectors, but I think this panel um, is. is um, I have a, a lot of time for them, yeah. um, and I'm, you know, hoping they'll do the right thing. Yeah. So we've got three T20s against Sri Lanka in Sri Lanka. First one on the seventh of June. You'd put him on the plane, send him straight to Sri Lanka, I assume, after the IPL. I certainly would. Yep. Um, it's Has the squad be been announced? Because... For? No, not yet. Uh, um, um... The, yeah, no, so, yeah, you're right. No, the squad has been announced okay. for that, and he's not in it. Um, uh, but um, that's fine. Um, you know, let's let's see. I think it's going to be interesting as to what he does in the rest of the IPL. But yeah. uh, a couple more big knocks like that, and his case will prove um, will prove irresistible. Yeah, of course. Now we change topics. Obviously, Andrew Roy Simons tragic, another tragic passing uh, in Australian cricket on the weekend on Saturday night. Uh, he was believed to have been to a pub on Saturday night after he was out fishing, but people at the pub said they believed he didn't have too much to drink, but it is still alcohol, still a tragic passing in Australian cricket, no matter the circumstance. It was just such a horrible um, piece of news to read. Yeah. I couldn't, you know, I think like um, all cricket fans and all sports fans that couldn't believe it. Um, and... Yeah, it's just such a tragedy seeing his photos with his his young family and mm. uh, you know age forty six. Um, it's just a horrific um, a horrific thing to to contemplate. Um, and you know he just always seemed such a larger than life, bulletproof sort of character. It's it's hard to come to hard to come to terms with. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's just it's just a, a, a crushing blow because um, he, he was clearly someone that. Was was loved by his his teammates, and you know you can tell from the tributes that these aren't sort of um, they're not saying the right thing just to be nice. They 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 genuinely were saying he was the sort of guy that would lift the mood of any room that he was in. Um, and of course, uh, as an actual player, um, he is right up there with the most entertaining players um, that cricket has ever produced. And he was the sort of guy that uh, got non cricket fans to turn on the cricket because he was playing. And of course, his record was substantial as well. He had, um, a fantastic one-day record, strike rate of in the 90s, average touching 40. And even at test level, he didn't um, play as many tests, but he still had a test batting average of above 40. Um, add to that a very handy bowler and, yeah. you, you know, arguably the best fielder that anyone's ever seen. Um, so, yeah, wonderful, um, wonderfully successful career and just a tragedy, obviously. Yeah, no doubt. How are, how are you going to remember Roy? I think that his, um, I mean, his innings in the World Cup of 2003 was probably the moment that um, I will always think of most because he had um, 
all the potential going into that, but hadn't really demonstrated it at the at the top level. And I was so happy when Ricky Ponting, uh, by all accounts, had been um, instrumental in having him selected in the squad because it didn't look likely. And I was I was a big fan. I was keen of keen for him to be picked. Uh, Shane Warne was sent home on the morning of the match against Pakistan, the first game of the of the World Cup, uh, for the for the failing the, the the drugs test, the diuretics test, and Australia was in a bit of turmoil. Uh, Simons came out with the score, and I don't know four for not many. Proceeded to get 140, um, played absolutely beautifully, um, and set Australia on the right path to to go through and win that World Cup. That and, and the beginnings he played with um, Hayden at the MCG in the Ashes of 2006. Belted one straight back over the bowler's head for six, and you know raised his hands with with joy. Probably those two um, innings will be the things that I remember most. Uh, his fielding, um, taking unbelievable catches and, and power, and of course a lot of people will remember the. Um, it was actually twice that he did it, but tackling the streaker um, on the field was yeah. always one of the sort of um, one of the most meme worthy moments you'll ever see. Yeah, the one at the Gabba, I think it was in that T20, and then the the one at the Wacker as well, where the bloke. End up getting back up, <laughs> running, jumping back over the fence, and ran out of the ground. I'm pretty sure. So, two very <laughs> famous moments, I guess, in uh, Australian cricket, uh, which was, of course, got a laugh out of everyone. But Paul, couldn't thank you, thank you, thank you enough for your company this evening, going through all the latest in cricket. Great stuff, Brian. Nice to talk to you. Uh, you too, as well. Paul Dennett there from the Cricket Unfiltered podcast here on the Overnight Crowd. We're going to head to a quick break. Be sure you can get uh, on the open line one three hundred seven three six seven three six, or of course the text line oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. I'll be taking all calls and texts this evening here on the Overnight Crowd. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato, and aioli. So we doubled it: chicken and Macca's together, and loving it. Ba da ba ba ba. Available after ten thirty a.m. for a limited time only.